Hi everyone. In the episode to follow, we're going to teach you something that you have probably not learned anywhere before or seen anywhere before because the skill that while highly prized is something not taught. And this is how to predict and preempt a problem before it becomes a problem. In other words, how do you identify risks before they convert to problems? If you like this episode, remember that this is just the audio version of the first episode of the full course we have available. The video version of this is available on YouTube. If you want access to the entire course in video format, there's only one way to get a copy of this course. If you go to Amazon, any Amazon, amazon.com or the Amazon in your country before 10th June and you buy a copy of our new novel about critical thinking and problem solving called Turquoise Eyes and if you leave a review on Goodreads before the 10th of June, you will qualify for one month access to this entire video program. You must leave a review on Goodreads and we would greatly appreciate it if you also left a review on Amazon. Once you've bought the book by the 10th of June, once you've left the review, email support at firmsconsulting.com with a copy of your receipt and a copy of the review you've posted so we can give you access to the full course for one month. If you don't email support at firmsconsulting.com, we have no way of knowing you bought the book and cannot give you access to the course. Remember that some of our programs are only available to people who buy our books. So the steps are as follows. One, go to Amazon.com by the 10th of June and buy a copy of Turquoise Eyes. Next, leave a review on Goodreads and we'd also appreciate it if you left a review on Amazon. Thereafter, email support at firmsconsulting.com with a copy of the review and a copy of the receipt and we'll give you one month complimentary access to the course, which can be found nowhere else. Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of the companion course to our new book, Turquoise Eyes. For those of you who have read the book, you know that it is a very unusual book because what we've decided to do in these new books from Firms Consulting is we have focused on teaching deep critical problem solving skills, but to weave them or embed them within a compelling story. So you're reading a story that's very interesting, but at the same time you're learning very deep skills. People who have read the book have said that they have found, they have learned much about banking, more about banking than they thought they possibly could. They have learned much about problem solving, how to break down problems and so on, than they normally would have. And the idea here is that if you have something that is so interesting, people will read it because it is interesting, but at the same time, they will learn foundational skills in how to solve problems. And if you look at the cover of the book, there's an equation on the book, which most people don't notice when they see the book. That equation is the equation that we use in one of our training programs with 270 episodes on how to calculate the default rate for loans. Now, that program with 270 episodes is a breakdown of a full study, and this book is loosely, loosely based on that study. What we're going to do here in this episode is we're going to introduce you to the primary concept that is taught in Turquoise Eyes, and we're going to elaborate on that concept for those people who want to go further to develop advanced skills and to be able to apply this concept in their lives and their careers. Now, the central thing in this entire program is that we are going to think 
about problem statements in ways you have never thought about before. It's going to bend your mind. Because we take the concept of a problem statement for granted. We think we know what we are talking about so well that we don't even think about it. But what we're going to show you here in this program is that you have not thought about problem statements the way you should have. And if you change the way you think about it, you can not just become a better consultant, you can save your company billions of dollars. And in fact, if you're a consultant or you are partner in a consulting firm, we have many people in that industry who are subscribers, I would strongly recommend you think carefully about how you build a practice and a capability and a methodology around what we're going to teach you here. Because if you're trying to beat incumbents, rival firms, this is a way to do it. If you're an industry, then you should definitely pay attention because we're going to show you something that you don't really think about much because you rely on consultants to tell you where to pay attention. But they usually ask you to pay attention in the wrong place. So what is the gist of Turquoise Eyes? What is the, the core message in the book? The core message in the book is that if you look at the foundations of problem solving, advanced problem solving, all the primary problem-solving methodologies around the world, whether it's MBA programs, whether it's major elite consulting firms, whether it's businesses and so on, business analysis is almost entirely focused on identifying a problem after it occurs. This is a fact. That's why it's called problem-solving skills. It's not called problem eradication or problem prevention, right? In business, consulting, strategy, analysis, whatever it is, even the most elite MBA programs in the world, there's a focus on identifying a problem after it's occurred. And there's almost no focus and discussion about how to identify a risk that could be terribly debilitating to a company, but identifying that risk before it converts to becoming a problem. So it's almost as if we want the problem to occur first, because that's the only methodology we have, how to fix a problem after it occurs. And what this means is that we are reactive in our nature. Business thinking, business strategy, executive management, executive thinking, all executive training programs is all about reactive management. We have been trained that you need to solve a problem. Therefore, we wait for problems to appear because we don't, have to, we don't really have tools and methodologies and concepts to neutralize risks before they become a problem. A risk that is not a hurting you is a is a risk a risk that converts that develops certain characteristics where it can hurt a business is a problem now what this means is it's a bit scary to think about this right because it's only in the business world that we allow this if you think about it when you listen to what i said previously you'll think to yourself yeah but michael that's not so serious but think about if we applied this thinking to the rest of the world right Imagine you had a police force that didn't focus on crime prevention. They just said, you know what? It doesn't matter. Crime prevention is not that important. What we're going to do is we're going to beef up our investigative department and we're going to have the highest conviction rate in the world. So when a crime occurs, we're going to find the person who did it. We're going to build compelling evidence and we're going to put them behind bars and we're going to get the judge to agree with us. This is the equivalent of not mitigating or preventing a problem but fixing it after it occurs. Now, it sounds ridiculous in a police force, but isn't that what we're doing in business? What about a health system that doesn't care about spiking heart disease rates? It just doesn't want to stop them because it is celebrating the fact that when you get heart disease and you go for a surgery, you have the highest 
percentage of a successful surgery. Now that sounds ridiculous, but isn't that what we're doing in business? What about a university that does not care about the amount of knowledge it actually instills in its graduates, but really what's more worried about is having a large alumni team and a large department to help graduates transition into the workforce. Now, this is not hard to believe because most MBA programs are actually structured this way. No one really cares about your grades because you're already apparently brilliant when they brought you into the MBA program, but all they care about is whether they place you. And the fact is, if you get placed, you're successful, not whether you actually learned anything. But imagine if our legal departments, if our medical schools were structured this way, where we didn't care how we trained these people, we didn't care what their grades were, all we worried about is whether they landed a job at a good hospital. It sounds absurd, but that's exactly the way problem solving and strategy in business is set up today. We tend to accept this in business. It's actually a revered skill because everyone likes to be a problem solver. Consulting firms, consulting partners, CEOs, consulting analysts, people in business are paid millions for this skill. But imagine what the world would be like. Just imagine this for a second, right? If businesses avoided the trauma, costs, lost market share, obviously, and all the problems, including bankruptcy, that came with trying to fix the problem after it occurs. Imagine if you focused on preventing problems. It's a different mindset. And then the sad thing about this is that we'd be up in arms today if our police officers, if our police department said we're not going to prevent crime, we're going to investigate and have the highest conviction rate. We'd be up in arms. But think about this. Many of us listening to this podcast, we are going to be some way involved in helping the companies or even the actual pension funds that decide how these police officers are going to retire. We don't want them to act like this, but we are in our daily jobs acting the same way. And that's not right. But somehow, somewhere, we started reviewing problem solving over correcting problems before they became problems. Now, here's a obvious thing, but I'm going to say it anyway. If problem solving is the skill we celebrate, then it is the most logical thing to conclude that a precondition for us to apply the skill, for us to train others to develop the skill, is there must be a world with a lot of problems to be solved. So if we say, my skill is problem solving, then naturally, I'm waiting for problems to arrive. I don't care about stopping them. I'm just waiting for them when they arrive, I'll deal with them. So, you know, economists call this um, unintended consequences, but I'm sure there's a nice economist term for this. But the point is that when we introduce incentives, remuneration systems, and reward systems, there are unintended consequences. And the unintended consequence of having an entire business culture of revering problem solving is that we need to have a lot of problems in the world to solve so we can find these star problem solvers, pay them a lot of money and put them on a pedestal. But what exactly are we solving? In this example, if costs increase by 5%, that's a problem. We then bring in consultants or you bring in a star manager to solve the problem. But what does he do? All he does is he takes the costs back to its previous level. So we pay a lot of money, we celebrate this person, and everyone's happy because he or she took things back to the way they were before. They haven't fixed anything. They haven't made anything better. They just took it back to the status quo. And that's the problem, a lot of problem solving. You're not making things better. You're just eliminating an unusual bump or dip. 
and you need to move beyond that. So there are several reasons why we focus and revere problem solving, but invest almost no time and money in trying to prevent them. I think the first one is obvious. Problem solving is such a revered skill that everyone wants to learn it. How many people type into Google searching for how to prevent a problem? Nobody. Problem prevention is not even mentioned in business. I mean, the kind of CEOs we celebrate, the kind of CEOs we put on the covers of magazines are the guys who go in and fix the problem. The guys who never create a problem in the first place, do you know what we say about them? I'll tell you what we say about them. We say that these guys are untested because we don't know how they would react if a problem occurred, right? Think about case interviews. The basis of case interviews to get into lead firms like McKinsey and BCG, the basis of the fit. The basis of the fit interview is that they want to see how you will deal with a problem if it occurred with a client. They want to see how you'd convince them to change their mind and not alienate them. But what they don't measure is that what if you're someone who has a skill that you never create a problem in the first place? If you're that person and you don't have examples of how to convince people after you create a problem, they don't want you. They say you, you don't have a skill that's been battle-tested. So we revere problem solving too much. Point number two is we know, how to solve, we know how to solve problems on first principles. We teach that extensively, I think more than anyone else in the world. And I, we have very methodical, almost mathematical ways of doing it. But how many strategy consultants know how to prevent problems from first principles? How many of you, when you do a strategy or when you solve a problem or develop a business plan, you do it in such a way that you are thinking about how to prevent problems that will occur later or you don't really care about that and you consider that an implementation issue. The third one is obvious. It's very, very difficult to calculate the benefits case and prove that business case for, for presenting a problem. You know, how do you go to a client and say, you don't have a problem, but you could have a problem, and this is how much we're gonna save you from fixing a problem you don't have, and maybe you'll never get. So because it's so hard to develop the benefits case and prove the business case, Companies just shy away from it. They don't want to invest money in doing that kind of work. And the fourth one is linked to the company itself, the organization, the client, and so on. Having an existing problem, no matter how small it is, is an, effect, is an objective fact which cannot be denied. If you lose market share 5%, nobody can deny it. It's a fact. There's real pain, jobs on the line, and people want to fix things that are immediately hurting them. Every organization in the world that I know would rather talk about a real small problem than an unknown but potentially large risk which has not materialized. I know this for the fact that if you look at the way boards are structured and the way they analyze risk, we'll talk about this more later, it's a very cursory analysis of some arbitrary risk that may occur. There's a board discussion, that's it. The bulk of what the board discuss would be problems that they're currently facing. No one is looking at risks today that could translate and most likely will translate into problems tomorrow. The fifth point is consulting firms struggle to sell problem prevention programs for the issues I mentioned before. One, no one asks for this. Two, I don't think consulting firms know how to do this because it's not something taught very well. And three, it's very hard to calculate the benefits. So consulting firms don't develop this. The organizations that we rely on to teach us how to solve problems don't show us how to prevent problems. The other one is we do incentivize, we do reward, and we do celebrate leaders and individuals more for solving problems and fixing a problem that, yes, that has yet to occur. 
Magazines would rather talk about a CEO that went into turn around a troubled company. They're not going to talk about a CEO who has prevented trouble in his company and has had smooth sailing. That guy's not going to be the cover of anything. Consultants benefit from solving problems. Clients really want problems never to occur. They want the risks neutralized before they become a problem. But unfortunately, clients rely on consulting firms. And if consulting firms are not emphasizing this is an area to focus on, and if major business publications are not focusing on it, then nobody is going to focus on it. And here's the thing. Who decided that preventing a problem was not possible or less important than fixing a problem after it occurred? It's fundamentally illogical to assume that solving a problem is more important than preventing a problem. But that's the world we're in. Now, what I'm going to do is, in this program, we're going to think about problems in ways you've never done it before. We're going to present frameworks for you to analyze, attack problems, build the business cases for them before the risk becomes a problem. So I'm going to talk about risk more because a risk is a baby problem. It hasn't really developed the personality and the vindictiveness of an adult to start attacking and causing wars, but a risk is a baby problem. So we're first going to start by showing you one way to reframe a problem. We're going to show you different ways to think about problems, and we're going to pull it all together in future episodes of how you develop a methodology to identify risks before they become problems and keep them in that risk phase. So the analogy I'm going to use here is that of a, a client's Rekha and Manmeet trying to have a baby in Singapore, right? So here we have the decision, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, and boom, the baby is born. Now, they obviously, I'm going to assume they make a decision to have a baby. It wasn't just something that happened, right? So let's assume they both get promoted. They plan to have a family. Now, the government of Singapore, like any, I think, sane careful, intelligent, forward-thinking government needs to realize that, hey, if we have more citizens of a certain age, we need to plan for that. We need to have more schools. We need to have more uh, financial coverage. Basically, we can't just be surprised when a baby is born. So the government of Singapore is always looking to find out what's happening with the population, what's the trends, what's the number of births, and whether they need to change immigration policy, whether they need to change incentives to encourage birth rates or lower birth rates, as the case may be. But obviously, the government of Singapore is not spying on Reka and Manmeet when they sit on their couch in their apartment and look at each other's eyes and hold each other and say they love each other and they, let's have a baby, right? No. But what they can do is that when Reka and Manmeet decided to buy an apartment, let's assume that's the first step, the government knows that couples that don't have babies... When they buy an apartment, a certain percentage is going to convert into a family. So while the government has no actual insight into what Rekha and Manmeet are doing, they can infer certain things. At the first trimester, you have a, let's call it a fetus. I don't know the exact medical terminology. But that fetus has certain characteristics that we know about. Let's assume at the first trimester, Rekha decides to tell her HR manager that she's pregnant. He fills out some paperwork and he lets the government know that, hey, you know what? In this company of 200 employees, three women, including one new woman, is going to have a baby. So the government gets more information that, you know what? Something's going to be happening in a few months. At the second trimester, the baby, or fetus, I'm not sure what's the correct terminology, develops additional known characteristics. There's not a surprise. We know at the second trimester, this is what the growing organism inside Rekha's body is going to look like. But also, 
Reka decides to update a government insurance details. Again, the government doesn't exactly know what's happening, but it has very strong indication that a baby's coming. Now, when I say it doesn't know what's happening, because maybe Reka will terminate the pregnancy, have a, a miscarriage, anything could happen. At the third trimester, again, the baby develops in a certain way. Manmeet goes car shopping. While he's there, he has to finish a, a, an insurance document, and he indicates that he's buying a car because he's starting a family. That information is fed to the insurer, which is indirectly, also is directly fed to the regulator in the state of Singapore that looks after insurance companies. And again, it's another piece of evidence that a baby is coming. And then step five, a baby is born, right? A magical day, boom, a new baby arrives. But it's not really a shock, right? Because there's so much evidence building to this. Numerous forms are completed and you know, whatever happens when a baby is born, give the child a name and so on. Up until now, the government of Singapore knows a baby is coming. There's a lot of evidence. But now it's confirmed. The uh, embryo, fetus, whatever you want to call it, becomes a baby. Let's assume you become a baby the time you are born, right? The baby is named, gets a lot of attention. Entire industries exist to serve this baby and her needs. Now, why am I talking about babies here? Let me explain why. What I showed you is an analogy for how to think about problems. Here's the first thing. From conception to birth, the baby grew in certain ways, exhibiting certain characteristics. We know at one month, certain things happen. Two months, certain things happen. Three months, certain things happen. We, we can look for those characteristics to see if the baby's healthy and growing correctly. Therefore, there's not much surprise about what's going to happen in the ninth month. We, we're not shocked that a baby is going to come up. We know a baby's coming. Reka and Manmeet never initially informed the government they were planning on having a child. But... They threw off enough data, enough signals, that the government had a pretty good indication that a baby was coming, even if it didn't know who was giving birth to the baby. And then later on, it could figure out who actually was giving birth to the baby. And before it knew who was giving birth to the baby, the government knew, based on other data it had, that when couples do the following, it usually means they're having a baby. So the government had a pretty good indication of what was to come. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is that everything follows a pattern, even for risks before they become a problem. A risk follows an incubation life, and we're going to talk about this. It incubates. And what has happened in strategy for some reason is we ignore the incubation period and we just focus on the, on the, we just focus on the problem when it becomes a problem. So here's the first insight, which is very important. Everything follows a pattern of development. Business problems are not dropped off on a spaceship. You know, if you're the manager of a distribution company and you notice your supply chain costs spiked 30% over the weekend, it's not as if an alien arrived on Sunday night, broke into your warehouse and stole stuff, right? Things have been happening for a long time, slowly building up to this event. A risk is incubated over time, and all risks develop with some known characteristics. So if we search for those characteristics, if we check them, we know when a risk is a young risk before it becomes a problem, or it's very close to becoming a problem. But like everything in life, risks develop. They don't just become problems overnight. You can track them. And obviously, rather than waiting for them to become a problem, you can neutralize them before they become a problem. The incubation process of any problem or risk throws off some known signals. We know what these signals are. We know what to look for. And if you're running a business, 
rather than just searching for where your problems are and putting them out with a lot of time, money, and resources, you want to be looking at the incubation process of your risks and tracking them and saying, hey, you know what? I just heard that the um, that the diaper division in Mexico is about to give birth to a beautiful, bouncing, happy problem in their returns department. Let's deal with this before it becomes a big deal. The incubation process is something we can track. And that's how you look at fraud prevention. Finally, there's the big insight. For a risk to become a problem, for it to graduate and get a name and start becoming part of the executive agenda because it's causing a lot of problems, it needs to meet certain conditions. And here's a big insight. The risk could have met 95% of those conditions to become a problem, but it is still benign until it meets 100% of those conditions. And this is important because if you're tracking risks across your organization before they become a problem, you don't have to worry about the ones that meet 5%, 10%, 15%, 20% of the conditions. You really want to focus on those between 80% and 100% because you want to get to those. The others, you don't have to worry about. But this is a big insight because you can have a risk that's really close to converting to a problem and looks really scary. But until it converts, it can't really do much. So as you can see, this is a new way of thinking about problem solving. It is a new way of thinking about what you will do as a consultant. In the episodes that follow, we're going to show you how to do this. We're going to show you new ways to think of risk, how to break it down, the exact sequence and steps and methodologies and processes you can follow. But it is a new way of thinking about problem solving because it's not about solving a problem. It's about getting it before it becomes a problem. So the main areas we're going to cover is we're going to go to solving. We're going to go from solving problems from first principles to avoiding problems from first principles. We're going to teach you a new, more effective way to analyze problems. What does it mean when we say a problem? We're going to show you how to prevent problems using first principles analysis. We're going to talk you through how to prepare and defend the benefits case to prevent a problem because that is going to be where the rubber hits the road. And we're going to give you some guidelines in terms of how to implement this approach. If you're a strategy consultant, if you work in industry, if you work in business, if you work anywhere, this is the skill you want. Don't wait for things to convert to being a problem. If you've read the book, fantastic. You will understand how hard it is to prevent a problem. Because a lot of executive teaching, a lot of strategy teaching eliminates the problems that you will face as a human being in trying to convince other people to do this. The book talks you through all this. It explains why people make the mistakes they do make. Why this problem happened. Why did the bank not see this coming? All the signs were there. And until you understand that human portion, what's going to happen is you're going to watch the program. You're going to learn all of the skills we, do, we teach you. You're going to try to implement it, but you're going to fail because you're not going to understand the reasons why people push back on the things they do. So I hope you look forward to the, the course. hope you enjoy the book. It's a new way we're doing things. We're producing books and training material that have a very high entertainment concept whereby you want to learn things by telling very human stories, but we embed the teaching within the story. That is the way people learn. If they read something they want to read versus something they need to read. If you want to read something, you'll want to learn. It's entertaining. It's not a chore. So, the next episodes, we're going to show you how to do each of these things.
And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.